Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. Time now for Why It Matters. And we're going to turn our attention to the world's second largest economy after the United States, of course, China. You know, China's attracted numerous businesses to vie for its sizable and fast-expanding markets. In fact, in recent years, these businesses have extended their footprints beyond the major Chinese cities to capture untapped opportunities in small cities. But you know, despite all of China's promising markets, both international and domestic forces have been reshaping the Chinese urban landscape and business environments. In fact, recent events such as the US-China trade war, and this happened back in 2018, we also saw the COVID-19 outbreak in the late part of 2019, and it really ramped up in early 2020, right? And of course, more recently, the Chinese government's wealth redistribution under the Common Prosperity Banner. So quite a number of incidents, you know, that's really made us sit up and take notice of China and how, you know, they're sort of handling things there. We've even seen a crackdown on some businesses that's created challenges as well as opportunities for investors. Now, these events, you know, on the other hand, have also intensified, you know, things like competition among Chinese cities as well as urban clusters in an ever-changing environment. So we want to find out which city came out on top in Milken Institute's annual Best Performing Cities China report and really what that means for China's economic condition, you know, how it's probably going to look in the near future. One of the things this morning, you know, when you take a look at how Wall Street reacted, the Wall Street Journal reporting that Chinese regulators were wrapping up their investigations into ride-hailing giant DD. So that, on one hand, does signal that potentially the country's crackdown on its tech sector may be coming to an end. We also saw stocks going up more than 1% in China and over 2% in Hong Kong. On the line with me this morning is Perry Wong, Managing Director for China at the Milken Institute. Perry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Elliot. It is quite a conversation we are going to get into. I'm looking forward to this. Perry, let's first of all try and get some context and get an overview, rather, of China's economic conditions. What are they working with right now? Let's go by the short short end of it, the more uh, recent events. I think you mentioned it. There's a lot of things happening in China, from the tax shakedown to this common prosperity to a new policies coming on what big company and small company or businesses should do or should not do. And also on the international front, more deregulation or in other words, putting what should not be done on the negative list to reducing those uh, frictions for international money investment to come into China. Now, those factors I just mentioned, some are very good. For example, the shortening of the negative list, meaning for the foreigner, there are more things that you can get into in China. For the negative one, I think you mentioned a handful of them, or less than a handful, the tech crackdown. I think the good news is that the consensus is a contouring end, so that's a good thing. Now, one of the bigger news I think I would like to share, according to our report, is that we found the cities that with 
gearing up their infrastructure for heightened international trade. For example, I think your question on why uh, Haiko is ranked number one this time is that Haiko is going to be a port city. In fact, it's going to be China's first free port province uh, in the nation. So to speak, they have reduced business tax and promote international trade. Mm. And I think as we settle in this part of the world, uh, the ASEAN, the Asian, the Chinese, East Asia, ASEP is a thing that I think many Asian nations are gearing up to for the future trade and also the uh, reduction of frictions and costs, et cetera, et cetera. And Haiko actually is the seaport that is the closest to the Southeast Asian nations. Very interesting that you bring that up. If we were to look at previous reports where this best performing cities China report is concerned, what else stood out for you? What looks different this time around? I think, why don't I quickly mention on the part that it looked consistently the same would be, say, the western city of Chengdu and Xi'an, actually among others. They are doing well. Right. So it, it shares a common theme that that two cities would be the gateway to the uh, Central Asia European trade. And those cities have been doing well in the last five years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, Haiko is a new one because yeah. the ASEP is signing to an agreement, I think, beginning of the year. And the prep work actually started about two years ago or three years ago. So you can see that the Chinese government, despite international tension and geopolitics, they still favor international trade and more opening of trade to the world. That's one. And I think uh, other factors also play into our ranking. The cities uh, with technology, with a lot of innovation going, the titans of the research time in China, mm-hmm. those are doing well as also this time. The last factor, which a little bit of, to my surprise, would be some of the third-tier cities that I thought, you know, they are kind of remote and they were poor in the past. But somehow in the last uh, two years, particularly this year, are doing quite well. Okay. And the reason is that finally the lay-in of the infrastructure, especially in high-speed rail, have actually expanded to those remote cities, so to speak. Uh, they are remote, but they are, by definition, not too small by international standard because many of them actually have population that close to a million, and many of them have like 800,000 close to a million population, if not more. So they are doing well, and usually they work with the adjacent central city. For example, I think the city that ranked pretty high, or number one, Xuzhou in Anhui. Mm-hmm. Anhui is a relatively backward, less developed province compared to, say, you know, Shanghai, Guangdong, mm-hmm. and others. Mm-hmm. But this time, five of their rural cities or remote cities are ranked in the top ten for the, the uh, third-tier city group. Oh. So you can see that the infrastructure, continue building an infrastructure, finally get to their doorstep, number one. And number two, I think the central government and the city government also find ways to tear up those cities with the larger sister cities surrounding so they get some of the lower-end production, if you will, uh, from them, and so they'll grow their local economy. So I can see a pretty obvious sign 
that the Chinese government want to extend their supply chain to actually use that to grow the uh, more remote cities. Mm. Heiko, of course, the top rank one, uh, the city situation on the northern coast of Hainan. Culturally, it's actually quite interesting, you know, in terms of the architecture and the culture that the, the city has. You can always tell a lot by the architecture. Jump 19 spots to rank first in the list of first and second tier cities. I am curious, I mean, what does this mean or what's happened here if we were to reference Shanghai and Beijing, I mean, is it right to say they're not performing as well or it's just that Heiko has jumped? Uh, Heiko just jumped because <laughs> I remember Heiko has jumped. Shanghai always would be an economic titan yeah, in yeah. China. It, it doesn't matter how low growth or how high growth the city is experiencing. Heiko actually have several things going for the city. One, the province is a free trade port that's quite significant. Mm-hmm. And second, the Chinese government, they are building the last leg of their long extended, you know, tunnels, if you will, from Guangzhou, Guangdongsheng uh, to Hailan under the seafloor, or on the seafloor, if you will. Right. Uh, so they're going to build a tunnel in the future from Guangzhou to Haikou will be driving for about an hour. So I think you can imagine that the small size truck and all those things can actually go under the ocean to conveniently travel from Haikou to Guangdong. So that linked up the island to the mainland. So those are favorable factors. Yeah, yeah, definitely expansion of infrastructure really will contribute. If we were to look at all these factors, what would your predictions be on the future of China's economic conditions, say, maybe in the next year. So, I mean, yesterday, we were just talking about lifting of COVID restrictions in Beijing. So that's got to build up a bit of positive sentiment. Yeah, I think if you want to just look for, uh, I think in the finance term, Mm. more cities in China have opened up, have less restrictions, that would help promote the short-term growth. That's always the case because then you have consumption going. What hammered the Chinese April statistics was the uh, closing down of Shanghai yeah, and yeah. among some other cities, right? Yeah. So it's a really big negative. Now, once the city opens up uh, cities, you can see that uh, direction reverse. I think fundamentally the Chinese economic structure has not changed mm. in the last two to three years, despite the trade, yeah, that hammered a little bit. It pretty much, I think, kept the Chinese manufacturer busy as well. So structurally, it didn't change anything. Mm. So when the short-term direction kind of switched from negative to positive, you can see people coming out to consume more. Now, those are the good news. But I think one factor that we didn't talk about is the fact that the Chinese economy, before the trade war, before the pandemic, before the regulation or shifting regulation on the big titans tech companies, the Chinese economic growth, had actually entered into a lower gear, meaning slower growth rate. Those are structural, and it happened to economies that growing to a very large size and also more mature. So if we are looking to a longer term growth, a driver for that kind of growth, then I just need to remind you that the Chinese government mm. spent the last 30 plus year to manage to pull about 55-60% of the population out of the rural poor living condition and there are still about 45-50% to of the population the Chinese government uh, still have to manage to remake so to speak 
So those are the long-term driver. And of course, if you are looking at the big city where the growth is going to come from for the big cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, etc., those cities, I think, they, of course, cannot move too many people already. They are big. They are gigantic by any measure. So their growth has to come from productivity gain. And those are more difficult. So favorable policy is important. More opening of the uh, economic system is important. International trade and contacts are critical. And also, most importantly, how to transform an economic system to a talent base, if you will. Those are critical factors for those big cities. Those long-term drivers you bring up, very crucial and sometimes easily overlooked, especially when you look at short-term direction. In other words, the zero-COVID policy. Do you think, in Mm -hmm. your opinion, this will continue to keep investors cautious? Like You never know when they're going to shift back to that kind of policy. Zero, I think they will still hold as a policy guidance or the directive, if you will. But if you look back in the experience of Chinese cities, Many of them went through the cycle now. Some did uh, quite well. For example, Shenzhen, they had the similar policy. At the beginning of the year, they actually had the city shut down for probably close to 15 days. But after 15 days, they used three days to test everyone in the city. And so at the end, they closed down two districts and had the city open in the uh, third day or fourth days. So now that's a dynamic zero policy, so to speak, but they managed to contain the virus better than what Shanghai experienced yeah, a yeah. Two, two and a half months ago. So that's it depends. True. Yeah. Just to wrap things up, I want to get your thoughts on maintaining relationships, especially, you know, you think relationships, US and China, obviously. Over the weekend, the US Commerce Secretary talking about uh, the potential for some of these tariffs on China to be taken off to fight inflation. How do you see Beijing reacting to all of this? Like, okay, great. At least maybe we can move forward, although tariffs on steel are still in place. What are your thoughts on this? I think the Chinese, if you listen to statements coming from the foreign ministry and also from the head and and various officials, their position is the two large nations should work together to resolve differences and should go through the peaceful way and should not intervene with each other's domestic policy. So they are kind of open at this point, or has been. So when the trade tariff comes down, I think the Chinese government will look at that as, okay, you know, that's a benefit to your consumer and not not necessarily to any benefit to my side. Okay. Okay. They may explore more. I would suspect they would ask for something. So that is my speculation. Okay, uh, definitely uh, watch this space in that sense. Perry, I really appreciate your help this morning. <laughs> Perry Wong, Managing Director, China for the Milken Institute. Perry, you take care and stay safe, yeah? You too. Thank you for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.